Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. We are all in for a treat today. The studio is full, and I suspect by the end of this time together, your heart will be full as well. And likely you'll laugh a little bit and cried a little bit as I talk with um, three of my friends who all have grace connections um, and all in different and unique ways care about vulnerable children. So welcome to the podcast, Gary Ringer, Kondo Simfukwe, and Kirsten Criswell. I'm sitting to my right, Gary Ringer is... Uh, the owner of Ringer Feuds and Ringer Foods in Gridley, Illinois. He's also the founder and current president of Lifesong for Orphans, a ministry that serves over 16,000 children worldwide. I've had the opportunity to read his book, Radical Business, From Ownership to Stewardship, which we'll discuss a little bit today. Gary has become a regular visitor to Winona Lake because his daughter, Leslie, lives here, and he considers Linus and Winnie two freshmen here at Grace from Zambia to be his granddaughters. Sitting across from me, Kondo Simfukwe is in the room. Kondo is lead pastor of Mission Point Community Church here in Warsaw, where he's led the charge for the church to care for vulnerable children in unique and extravagant ways. And in case his accent doesn't give it away, Kondo was born in London, raised in Zambia, and spent high school years in Australia before coming to the United States for college. He holds a BA in Biblical Studies and a Master's of Divinity from Grace College and Seminary. While at Grace, he met and married his Lancer Hall of Fame wife, Melissa. And Kondo and Melissa have five children, whom uh, I'll spend the next couple decades convincing to come to Grace. Uh, And then the last member of our esteemed group, Kirsten Criswell. Kirsten serves at Grace as the Director of Student Involvement. She's been involved with student life here at Grace for 10 years, and during that time earned a master's degree at Grace. In her role, she designs leadership opportunities and activities for students. Kirsten brings a unique perspective to this panel as someone who's actively involved with foster care. She's been a foster mom to many children and a voice for those without one. So after that very extended introduction, welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate you guys being here and having this really important conversation about different ways um, that we should care for the vulnerable child. And uh, I appreciate you being willing to lend your voices to that. Um, Gary, I'm going to start with you since you uh, sat down closest to me. So um, you uh, you literally wrote the book on the topic. So we have to start with the guy who wrote the book. Tell us just a little bit about Life Song for Orphans and, and how that even got started and why it got started. Yeah, it got started because God broke me. wasn't my plan. Early on, uh, as uh, when I was just getting out of college, I wor- went to work for my dad. And um, I did that because I didn't know what else to do. But I found that I liked business, and his was a feed business. And in my early 30s, I started a food business. And we called the feed business Ringer Feeds, and we called the food business Ringer Foods. So we weren't real original with the names. (laughs) But uh, as I started that, I I was thinking the food business had so much more potential. So I told my dear wife, Marla, that... Uh, we're going to get rich, and I'm going to retire at uh, 40. That's what's that's our American dream. 
And as we started that, though, we were in the feed business was doing fine, but the food business was losing money month after month. And I was realizing that, uh, you know, if I make pig food wrong, I might kill pig. And if I made people food wrong, I might kill a person. And, and that started just freaking me out, food safety. And I realized I didn't know anything about it. So I got into this pattern. Uh, Drew, night after night, roughly 1 o'clock in the morning, I would wake up in a cold sweat, and my I could feel my heart beating in my head, and I would lay there thinking all kinds of dark thoughts like, God forbid we're going to kill somebody. And then because it happened night after night, I got in general sleep-deprived, and then I became depressed and desperate, and I didn't care about the American dream. I mean, I cried a lot. I had even thoughts of suicide. I was never tempted to commit suicide because of my fear of God. But I was a mess, and I started just thinking about quitting. But as I'm crying out to the Father in the middle of the night, I'm thinking, I I just couldn't get a piece about quitting. And I felt God changing my paradigm on business, and that led to a, a written contract. It was just on a piece of paper that said, God, if you bless Ringer Foods and uh, we ever sell it, we'll pay ourselves back what we invested in it, and we'll get 8% interest, but anything over and above that will be used for ministry. And then that contract became life-changing for me, mm-hmm. led to a uh, special prayer life that I hadn't experienced because it was a more of a partnership with God. And then when we sold it in 2002, again, we're praying about what to do, and God led us to focus on uh, adopt, helping adoptive parents pay for the cost of adoption because it's expensive. So why that? Why, uh, you know, there are so many needs in this world. Right. And uh, we, live in a, we live in a broken world. Why um, helping families adopt kids? Why did that become the focus? Yeah, so first of all, I had learned through the uh, journey on just this daily prayer, asking God what to do. So we basically just lifted it up to God. What what are we supposed to do? And, and a mentor of mine said, Gary, I said, what do we do with this money uh, that's not ours? And he said, don't just give it away. Be focused and involved. And so we started this daily prayer. Marla and I did, what should we focus on? And one of the data points that we had, I mean, it was prayer, it was conversations with numerous people, but one of them was remembering back to years before uh, in our church, we have a tradition that we sit around the table, and, uh, and you know, there's like 300 people in our church, and we'd sit around and have lunch together. And so she was sitting with Marie, who was younger. This was after the Ringer Foods had become successful, but, but years before, and Marie and Darren were adopting a little boy, but they were struggling with the money. And so Marla came back, and she's very demonstrative, and she said, Gary, that's just not right. We can't—they shouldn't have to borrow a lot of money to adopt. So um, we helped them, and then we had the privilege uh, of just watching that little boy grow up until they moved away, and we watched uh, them—that little boy grew up, and we knew that they were doing it, but we had a small part in it, and we were really blessed. So we've— that was what we decided to do. We wanted to help other people the way we'd help Darren Marie. Mm-hmm. So that that was how um, Life Song for Orphans started, and it's expanded to become so many other things, I- including work in other countries, Ukraine, Haiti, Uganda, right. um, and uh, Zambia. 
And now we have two young ladies here starting at Grace as freshmen from from Zambia. So tell us a little bit specifically about, you know, what's going on in Zambia and and how that led Linus and Winnie to Grace College. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to first tell you something that is exciting to us. So Marla and I started this adoption ministry, and we never adopted ourselves. Hmm. But we have 15 grandkids now, and nine of them are adopted. Wow. And and two of them aren't really adopted, but they're Linus and Winnie. <laughs> and they, uh, Leslie, our daughter, who is, is not married, but she was a missionary to our project over there, and, and she brought... Linus and Winnie back here on a student visa, and they call her Auntie Leslie, and they call Marlon me Grandpa and Grandma. So, uh-huh. um, but but what we do over there, I um, all of the projects we're actually involved in thirteen countries now, and almost I think without exception, uh, every one of them came to us, and we basically responded. Um, what happened in Zambia? A pastor over there had a vision of starting a school. And also, you know, just helping the kids. So it is a school project. We serve a uh, community that is uh, very poor. They call it the compound, and these kids come, and um, and it has evolved through the years. Uh, there's roughly 25, 30 kids in the class, and now our kid and it goes through high school. Then they go into what we call student life homes, and uh, that is. Um, what is happening. So then, then they actually do live with us. Once they get out, Lifesong has this four-part pledge that we call a pledge, but I always like to say that sounds like it's more than it is because it's just something we're working at. And by the grace of God, it's something that happens naturally if a child is adopted. But in a situation like this where you got 25 kids in the class, is something that we're working to by the grace of God. And that four-part pledge is, number one, that we take care of their physical needs. Number two, that we give them a good education. Number three, that we disciple them in Christ. And that number four, as they age out, we want them to land well. Well, how do you land well in a country that is 70 to 80% unemployed? Mm. So, you know, I'm a business guy, and and so we're focusing, and and we've got – Ideas, but there's one particular project that, that uh, we're really developing there, and it's called Lifesong Farms, and we're doing that in Ukraine, and we're doing it now in Zambia, and Lord willing, we'll be doing it in Uganda. But it's a project that is pretty high-tech hydroponics, hmm. and it is um, something that we believe in the course of the next uh, several years that we'll be paying for a substantial part of the cost of the ministry, but also giving our kids jobs. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing just a little bit of the background, and it's neat to see how, you know, your mission has expanded from from being narrowly focused to adoption to really caring for for kids all over the globe. Yeah, and I'll just say one last thing. I mean, what hit me when we were first focused strictly on adoption, and to put it in perspective, I mean, there is roughly a hundred thousand a year, and I'm that's not exact, but somewhere in that range, but uh, at that point, years ago, roughly uh, adoptions in the U.S. And at that point, uh, years ago, it was close to 30,000 were international. And that has the number of adoptions has stayed about the same, but uh, international adoptions are much less now. But there's 150 million orphans. Hmm. And so when I first got started, I knew 
in general about adoption, but once I realized there's 150 million orphans, you know, how are we going to do that? And there's such an opportunity with kids because the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he grows up, he won't depart from it. So there's tremendous opportunity there to make a difference by God's grace. Kondo, you've been connected to Gary and, and even connected to Lifesong for a while. How did you get connected? And then sort of how has being involved with Lifesong affected you? Yeah, I mean, Gary mentioned his daughter, Leslie, lives around here. Um, and so when she first moved to the area, I think she tracked me down just by virtue of the fact that there's somebody from Zambia. So um, <clears throat> she came to the office and, I mean, no offense, but oftentimes people have never heard of Zambia, let alone know where Zambia is, let alone have lived in again, Zambia. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, man, it was so, so good to to meet her. I didn't know anything about Life Song at that point. And so, man, we, we met, we started to talk, we knew similar places. She had lived in the Kitwe Ghanaian area, which is where the school is, and so we started to connect. She told me about her connection and Life Song for Orphans, which was this ministry that her dad and mom had, you know, played a role in men bringing to life. Um, so that that was my initial my initial connection, and there was just so much getting to know bits and pieces, and I think maybe. Some months later, Gary was in town, and man, we figured out a way to connect. And some of it was if you meet Leslie and you meet, you know, any of his kids, frankly, <laughs> who are bought into this vision, heart, and soul, and they're yeah. taking ridiculous risks and doing things that I'm like, do you know that there is a really self-absorbed version of life you could be pursuing versus <laughs> this meaningful version you're going after. I'm the kind of person who's like, I want to meet your parents. Like, I, I'm I'm keen to meet, you know, um, your folks. So when I had the opportunity to sit down with Gary, I was, I was thrilled to do that. And let me just say this, because this is always something I think about. Months later, I had another meeting with Leslie. I'd met Gary at that point. I'd known Leslie at this point maybe for a year. I don't think I had a clue how influential this ministry is. Um, it is. I went to one of their retreats. Then I went to the Christian Alliance for Orphans, this massive gathering of folks from around the world. And that's when it occurred to me, like, wait a minute, I didn't realize Lifesong did all this so that its tentacles reached that far because there's just this understated, we're just trying to help, we're yeah. just trying to make it, don't believe it. Like, it's, <laughs> the Lord has blessed this movement, and I love saying this because if Gary knew I was going to say this, he would be really upset and say, don't don't talk about that, but it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. So anyway, we connected, and I just, being somebody who understands the plight of, um, man, the common Zambian, and to sit face to face with a man who was playing part in a ministry that was literally changing the trajectory of lives, and there were two of these kids living in our community now, um, because this is not just something talked about, it's something lived out. My heart just immediately bored in. I just first bored in because you're making a difference in a country that's close to me. Mm. 
And then my heart bought in when I realized, no, you're making a difference in um, so many countries, in the lives of so many people. And I I don't know how much more subscribed I could be to Life Song, <laughs> who they are, what they're about. And it's just, to me, it's just a stirring movement. And then it also just resonated with who we were as a church and what we were um, what we were uh, we were after. So it's it's truly been That's it's awesome. truly been a, a privilege. Yeah. When, can I just interject something yes. though? When Leslie was praying about uh, uh, bringing over them, those two girls. You know, part of the, the journey was knowing about you. Mm. So sorry for getting emotional, but. Marlon and me just this morning were saying we, we got together with the girls and as they left I thought you know we are so blessed mm. so again excuse for the emotional but thanks Kondo you were part of that journey man and to make it come full circle we have Kirsten here who's now going to have the opportunity to build into their lives yeah. as members of the Grace College student community which is really neat to see how each of you have had an effect on two lives much less countless many others that would have ended up elsewhere um if not for what god had called you to do and your willingness to say yes kondo um thank you for sharing kondo one of the uh you you can't go to mission point for more than a couple weeks without you talking about that 150 million orphan number and putting that in front of your congregation um, as as a challenge. Um, tell me where that heart came from, even in the, the birthing of Mission Point Community Church. Yeah, I wish I could say we were a church movement that... Um just really was built around a deep concern, particularly for the vulnerable child. That that came over time. But what was true is when Mission Point launched, um, there were some key questions that we were asking as a church. Um, if Jesus were here physically, um, where would he be? Who would he hang out with? Who would he serve? What kind of people would he focus his energies on and we felt like man biblically there's some evidences that pointed us in a certain direction um and then it's also something that occurred to us that you know when jesus returns he's not going to give us a, a pop quiz he's actually given us the cheat sheet he's given us the questions ahead of time and when i return i will ask you certain questions i'll ask you what did you do with this vulnerable population or this vulnerable population, or this vulnerable population, because whatever you do for the least of these, that you do for me. So for us as a church, a big question was, so when the Lord comes back, what do we want him to catch us red-handed doing? What do we want him to find us in the midst of doing? And we couldn't escape at least the fact that it was an invitation and a calling to be loving on and serving the hurting, the broken, the vulnerable, wherever we 
found them. So that was true about the church's DNA from the beginning. And we just talked about that a lot. And as we did that, I think we just started to notice that families started to take that seriously and it landed them in adoption or foster care because it became very clear to us there are a lot of vulnerable populations around the world, but none as vulnerable as the child. And so I think that's something that started to happen over over time. So it started with a couple of families who who adopted and then foster care, and then the Lord just seemed to swell that um, that heartbeat. Um, we, the Simfukwes, as a family, just applauded that until our lives got upended and interrupted, and the Lord said, you're now going to, you know, uh, take steps to adopt. And I just think because of the privileged position we had in the church, it was just a constant question. How's the adoption coming? And it was something we were talking about all the time. And so um, I think that also played um, played a part in it. And man, folks bought in. I think of Kirsten and some of the things that Kirsten has has done and then we started to figure out, oh, man, what does it look like for us to support families who are in the process of caring for the vulnerable child? So ministries got launched in the church. And so it just it just really, this heartbeat infiltrated and started to focus around uh, the vulnerable child. Now, if you go to Mission Point, you notice the vulnerable child is not the only vulnerable population we talk about, but it is definitely the primary population we we focus around. And I think it just just happened by asking what kind of church we wanted to be and we wanted to pass the final exam. And so we wanted to to really study up on the questions we knew Jesus would ask us. Um, what does that uh, look like very practically? You know, if a pastor said, "Wow, we we want we want to do something like that at our church," I mean, what are the what are the specific ministries that you have going, or things that you have done to support families? Um, well, and there are a number of different things. Some of them have taken on a more organic um, tone. Some of them have been much more organized. You know, we have a ministry called One Such Child, and. Um, one such child is very focused on um, just being a community that supports um, individuals and families who are in the journey, anywhere along the journey with the vulnerable child. And the question is, how can we come alongside and support you and resource you and encourage you? And that has become almost, you know, people would come from a hundred miles away to be a part of a resourcing experience there or an encouraging um, experience there. So I think having a ministry that is centered around what matters to us, I think just, I think validates, but it also brings out of, I think there was a time when I grew up in the church where foster care or um adoption were relegated to very quiet corners. It was the occasional thing, and each family was kind of, you're on your own, which was what Gary was describing about Marla's heart that said, wait a minute, 
this family seems to be journeying alone and figuring things out alone and borrowing. No, 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 we got to figure out how to come alongside them. So I think having a ministry like that really just, I think, validates and helps people believe there's a whole number of us who are thinking about this and there are a number of us who are scared and the number of us who feel under-resourced. And so I think that just gives visibility and validation to the ministry, but it's moved into our children's ministry um, as well, where there's just a great question about, so when kids come home, what does it look like not to just act like all kids are, you know, the same from the same backgrounds, from the same experiences? No, there's special considerations to be had for um, certain kids. And so we have a ministry called MP Inc., Mission Point, um, and it's inclusion. We want to make sure that these kids are a part of um, the church. So we have somebody who's hired to focus on on that. So I just think putting resources and community around those things matter a lot. I'll say one more quick thing, um, especially if I were talking to pastors, um, and I know this is a heartbeat for, for Kirsten, and it's definitely a heartbeat for us. The idea that um, caring for the vulnerable child is this unique calling reserved for a very specific and special person. We've done that with evangelism. Like, I'll share the gospel, mm. but I'm not gifted mm. and I'm not called. Um, I think that's ultimately debunked by the leadership. And so we have to communicate that as it's a biblical um, mandate. Um, it's not something that's um, unique for certain folks. So I do think another thing that's true for us, like, man, any excuse we have, whether it's Orphan Sunday, um, Stand Sunday, or whatever it is, we want to talk about it. And then throughout the year, we are constantly highlighting from the front because I think to have ministries in the background that speak of the value of this and then up front is just silence does not um, does not help to perpetuate the heartbeat of God. So for us, in every area, we, mm. we are figuring out how do we talk about this and bring it to the, to the forefront. You mentioned that your family has recently brought um, three girls home mm -hmm. and uh you know you, you were you were preaching this um from stage and encouraging others and doing things to care for orphans um and then god called you to yeah. to adopt yourselves mm -hmm. um what changed about your perspective or what did you learn from now going through the process yourself mm. um and and going through from A to Z, um, and yours was a long process, yeah. uh, to to go after those girls and bring them to your home. Mm. Man, yeah, it was a uh, funky process. I mean, the way the Lord invited Every us into is, it. Yeah, it? Every no. foster care is, it's, uh, it, it's, it's. Yeah. Um, so that was for us maybe a little bit of a, a, a reprimand in that there was an openness in us, like a great willingness, like, um, you know, almost the 
Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm willing to go. Um, and he he took us up on it because I think sometimes <laughs> you can you can say that and um, almost get away with having this, you know, this offer. But he he took us up on it, and yeah, it was a long process, uh, four years plus. I mean of waiting and you know paperwork and waiting and paperwork and um but you know the lord provided immensely so we learned a number of key things one of them was man if he invites you into this which i think in some sense or another he invites us all into it right his provision will be um man It'll be made known as we take those steps forward, as we say yes and step into those risky places. And we did, and he provided um, immensely. Um, And it's interesting because he shocked us in the way he provided for us. And I know that's not the story for everyone. And Gary, no less than three times, asked me, what can LifeSong do for you? And the Lord had provided for us. So we knew, obviously, the generosity of LifeSong would benefit many others, as it has many in our church um, who are going through that process. But so, yeah, I mean, the Lord's provision for folks who I know, we were like, how are we going to do this? Um, And the Lord just provided incredibly. But the big thing I know we learned is... I'm a pretty independent person. I don't like to need a lot of people. It's amazing how much this process taught us, man, we need each other. We it takes a village. It the world in which we all used to just say yes to God quietly and try and figure it out and wrestle behind closed doors. We need each other immensely that we've learned it's been really really difficult it's been this beautiful adventure it's been man we've seen you know the lord in different lights we've learned the monstrous parts of our hearts that we didn't (laughs) you know weren't fully aware like was i always a monster (laughs) oh is this new no it was just Lots been revealed in us, but the whole community piece, the way our church has come around us, has been. Uh, we've led the church more than we've ever needed the church, and adoption just like, oh my goodness, no, we're actually a key part of the church, and we need the church, and we need the community um, that's come around us. And I'm so glad to be part of a, a movement that surrounds well. And again, ministries like Life Song, which come alongside well, has been yeah, just a beautiful thing to, That's awesome. to watch as well. Kirsten, you uh, attend Mission Point, so you've been there a part of this movement. Um, and uh, eventually God called you to step out of your comfort zone and do something radical. Tell us a little bit about your journey to fostering. So I've never really, at the time, I had not really considered foster care. I didn't know anyone that fostered. I really didn't know anything except for what TV portrays, which is not the best. So I discouraged that. Um, But actually, our missions coordinator at the time at Mission Point was realized one of the barriers to being certified as a licensed parent, like a parent, um, 
was that all the training was really far away. And so she and the church leadership decided we need to eliminate any barriers. How can we host this through our church? So that like elimination elimination of barriers to me was like caused me to think, why not? Why wouldn't I do this? So I don't know that I remember being called. I just remember thinking they're inviting me to something that I know is true in scripture for all of us. I have extra space in my home and I will use it in some way. (laughs) I have extra money in my funds. I can reprioritize in order to do something. I have time to give. Being a single woman, I there are things that I have extra of that I want to be towards something the Lord cares about, not just something that I would care about. And so for me, it was like a why not? I'm not sure that I'm someone who you would see me interacting in our kids' point because I'm not that person that's like, oh my gosh, kids. But I can feel a need and I can see hurt. And I I knew that it was more of a why not? I still, even once I was licensed, I had no idea I was getting into but I knew I wanted to be into it. But I also felt really committed that I was um, doing that with people behind me in a church that was seeking to kind of assist in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, somebody can look at it and go, what, what is she thinking? You know, <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be way too mm-hmm. hard. And the answer is, yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to be really, really hard. Uh, but that is what God calls us to. And he, he's not going to call us to anything he didn't do. Amen. Many times Amen. over, uh, whatever we shall do. Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey. What have mm-hmm. you learned and um, what's been some of the exciting things that you've discovered about God or discovered about the process of mm-hmm. it fostering? Yeah, well, I just counted the other day because I was getting ready to introduce myself to my um, my first year class and tell them who I was, some of my background. And I realized in the year and a half I've been licensed, I've had 13 kids in my home. Wow. So... There are two of the four of those kids that have been longer placements, but sometimes it's just an emergency placement um, or doing respite for another foster parent who just needs a break or is going on vacation. That blew me away and got me really excited to know, like, what will I say in a year? I can't wait to know what that number is (laughs) Um, because it is something that I started and I did, but I had no idea how much it was the Lord's heartbeat. I had no idea um, the power of love until I fostered and to see how that can transform a child um, who may have not felt love, whether provisionally or through words of affirmation. And so I have seen how that power in speaking life into a child, just like the Lord speaks life into us and his very nature and creation of us um, is really, really powerful. I've learned that the kids um, that come into my home through foster care, oftentimes well, they've been through trauma. And a child with trauma just cannot be parent or yeah, cannot be parented like other kids. And that takes so much intentionality. And it has brought out in me an advocate. Like I am now a fierce mm-hmm. advocate for every child that comes into my home because they have each each have needs. And it is my responsibility to take those to the appropriate people, to communicate to DCS about that, to talk to Mission Point about that when I bring a child in, to meet with the teachers in our school system, mm. and to realize, here's this child that I have to steward, and I need to be a team with you, because in order for him to heal, him or her to heal, we need to be in this together, and it's not going to look like how we might think with another child. So they might have some – one of the kids I had had a lot of anger issues, and it was really hard. I mean, physically, we were 
I was having to restrain him a lot, mm. broke a window. I had some, I have some scars. Mm. But what I love about that and what I love about Jesus is when I can see into that child and know it's a bigger picture than that and how intimately I can know him and still love him in that, it is like a gift. It's mm. like a something I hope is contagious. Mm. And I think it helps me know more and more of who, who God is to me. I remember one night, um, that same kid I was talking about, I was scratching his back and telling him the story of the Red Sea. And he said something like, I'm so sorry. I was so mean to you today. I'm sorry I was angry. And I said, bud, I know you are. I was like, I want to change. I want to change, but I just don't know. You know, he was processing his little feelings. And I said, can I just make sure you know something? He's like, what? I said, no matter what, if you wake up and you, we have these issues tomorrow, you're still welcome to be in this home. And we might have to work through some things, but I am for you. And I'm going to love even this mess that you have because that's the mess that God's committed to me in my life. Mm. He's like, I know you would. I know you still love me. And it just hit me like that. Mm. That could be communicated to a small child. And that is a love that God continues to give us over and Mm. over and over again. So I don't say those things to brag on myself that, oh, I'm just doing all these great things. But it's like in doing something that is natural when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit just teaches you more about who God is. And I've said to several people, like, I, I never want to get a foster care unless there's something else because it's the first thing I've ever done where I'm living for something that's not me. Mm. Like me, Kirsten, would be traveling once a month, <laughs> like a lot. Mm. Um, I would be doing a lot of different things. Um, but in choosing to sacrifice for these kids, why would I do anything else like the intimacy the Lord provides in it and just this recognition of it's not about what all I've seen in the world but it's about each person I run into knowing that there's a God who loves them through me in some way is like why would I not do that so why not and you know uh, I I think you said it so beautifully just that um, no one is ever too far gone for God for him to rescue them and that's how he calls us to care for others and no one is ever too far gone to be to be loved and cared for and shown the love Jesus has shown us. That's amazing. Um, so you, you you have a day job too uh, at Grace with with students caring for them as well. And um, how have these two worlds meshed, collided um, with your day job at Grace and and then being foster mom as well? Yeah. What's interesting is I think we've each talked about something different that reminds me about like the love of Jesus is contagious. And I feel like there's this tension that we have as Christians to not be arrogant, but to be humble. But there's still this like if we're to boast of anything, it is the Lord. And so I have tried to navigate being working here at Grace and with the students to know um, for the first couple of years, this is how you live as a single Christian. Like this is you steward that singleness. You do not victim victimize yourself. That's something that I think being at Mission Point has really it's transformed who I am and how I steward my life. So I have been intentional to kind of broadcast that belief that I have and empowerment to the students. So it was just the same when I started fostering, where I think the fostering was I'm gonna keep stewarding. What else can I steward? And it was my time and my money and my home and those things. And so it has been so fun um, to be with my students, to share with them what's going on, but for them to come up with ways they want to serve me. And so to have them offer, hey, if you ever need someone just to pick up a child or to to drop them off somewhere, would you let us know or just hang out with them a few hours? I think every child that I've had in my home 
for at least like six months, so that's a total of four, has had a mentor or two that were a gray student who just mm. randomly would pick them up, play disc golf with them, go and have, you know, coffee, whatever that might be for, you know, these small kids, but who love them and who don't have to love them. Um, but also I think it's been really – though it's hard, um, a vulnerable and good experience for them to see the mourning that I do before the Lord. Um, Even today, I'm starting to wrestle with the placement I have now and I love dearly. There is is an end in sight where they'll be reunified. And I'm so excited about that, but I am breaking inside. And I was going to a meeting with some of the students and I just said, I'm going to just warn you that I'm really feeling, having some hard feelings right now and I'm starting to mourn. Mm And I'm telling you because I may be distracted by it, but I also want you to know the real me and then I can't cover it up or I'm not going to authentically lead you. And I just kind of saw them turn their heads at me. And I think that's been the beauty is there are some highs in this fostering journey. There are some lows and a lot of lows. But for them to see me like bring that forward, it's I don't do that because I want them to think I'm awesome or anything, but like do this too. Like we're going to have times when we are hurting for the Lord, that we are sacrificing and that is the purpose of community. So I have an awesome community of peers and older, but I would say my community are also the college students. And Mm. I am not afraid to ask for their help because I want them to keep practicing that from now until forevermore. So it is, it's fun to share with them. They love coming to play basketball and just hang out, um, offer to cook or clean, and I'm never going to say no to those things. So it's definitely like a double gift, yeah. I think, that the children in my home receive, but also that I receive. You know, we, we often talk about that students at Grace are going to receive great content in the classroom, and it's going to be biblical integration, and, and those are fantastic things. But I think um, we also talk about how students are going to be a part of a community and a family um, and that's one of the benefits of being Christ-centered and being small and having robust student life programming, people that they can do life with and see what life can look like when it's lived for Jesus. And, I, you know, that's a, as good a lesson as any they're going to live in the classroom is just to, to watch you and walk alongside of you um, in your journey of caring for others. So thank you for doing that. And uh, Kondo, I want to ask you as you know, somebody who's been preaching this message um, and setting up programs for this to happen in your church, and then you sit next to somebody who shares like that, um, who has caught the vision um, and implemented it in amazing ways. What's that do for you? Man, yeah. I mean, beyond humbling um, and also, um, yeah, I mean, it would be it would be crazy for me not to not to say, man, Kirsten has had a willingness to say yes to what the Lord stirs in her since that's one of the first things I learned about about her. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's been such a humbling thing because, I'm a recipient of Kirsten's generosity, you know, her offering to come alongside and serve our family and to love on our kids and to, you know, take them for, you know, picnics in the rain in the park or whatever else it is. And so, yeah, it for me is, it's a, it's a sobering thing. And it's just to me, again, the reminder of, you know, we... You know, we can't 
do everything. That's something I know is said often in these circles, but we can all do something. And the question is, what's the something that, you know, that can be done? But this to me is one of the most humbling, um, humbling stories. Because again, there is, Kirsten said it, like, I'm single, you know, listen, I have other priorities. And my priority is to, to get out of this mm-hmm. world called singleness and to, you know, because life begins when you're in a relationship. And just some of those lies whispered that Kirsten's life is just, is continuing to defy and she continues to say yes and lives continue to be changed and marked and then you get this movement of folks who are saying like are you for real like how how, explain this because this is so strange this goes completely counterintuitive you know directions from everything else that we um everything else that we hear but it does for me it inspires me as somebody in the seat I get to sit in to continue to talk about the gospel, really, the gospel of a God who comes after vulnerable um, people, a vulnerable humanity, and at great sacrifice and cost to himself includes us in his family and affirms us over and over again. You may break a window, you may sin, you may mess up, but you're going to be part of this family. You're not going anywhere you know, um, I'm for you, and and we get to be reflections of that. We get to be visible um, illustrations of the God he is. This inspires me to say yes more. It inspires me to continue to, you know, to, to talk about this more. And frankly, Kirsten, it inspires me to be like, I complain a lot about some of the hardships I go through and it's good to like, wait, they literally broke a window? Two of them actually. Two windows. We've not had a broken window yet. So, um, and so it is, it's just another reminder that it is hard and none of us would say otherwise, you know, and, I love that the three of us get to share about this, but Drew, you're an adoptive dad, you know, and so you've been in this journey of waiting and and the the disappointment and things fall through. And it's crazy that the four of us are sitting around this table talking about something that we acknowledge, like, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Let's do it again. You know, (laughs) let's do it more because somehow this is the adventure we were created for and the adventure we've been um, we've been called into, but yeah, Kirsten ins- inspires me. I think what you, I think what you say is so important, though. Like that, I this is why I want to instill in my students in the circles and around. What is it that's costing us? Like there should be something in our lives. I think you were kind of reflecting on that. That in doing this, there's something that's costing us. It's um, inconveniencing us. Mm-hmm. And I think as a Christian, we should be able to say, "This is what it is." To be able for Kondo to ask me, what's costing you today? Like, how what ways are you being depleted in order to sacrifice for Jesus? I feel like I would love to see the church and just more of us asking those questions because there's something. And we just got to start figuring out what it is or just do something, and that will be the thing it's supposed to be. And so I love that. Like, what's costing us? Yeah, what I, what I was going to say when I hear your story, Kirsten, uh, there was a, a adoptive uh, family that we got to— 
learn about and know early on. And we've met so many neat people. And But he said, uh, you know, James 1.27, pure religion is taking care of orphans and, and widows. But he said, that's not a, a commandment. It's a definition. And so if you want to experience... <laughs> If you want to experience Amen. God, if you want to experience pure religion, drink it in, then take care of orphans. You know, not a commandment. And and also, so you're really experiencing that. Uh, you're experiencing pure religion. And, and But the other thought I had is I have kind of like Tales of Narnia. I don't know if you know that sure. where Aslan's sure. the, uh, the, um, um, the god and— and he's the lion. But at one point early on, there's a point where the—, the little boy and girl who are in this adventure uh, and they're talking to the beaver and they're hearing about this Aslan mm. and and they're saying is he safe and and the mm. beaver says safe no he's not safe <laughs> but but he is good and oh, and man. that is mm-hmm. uh, what the way it is it it is yeah. hard yeah. and and I had this Pollyanna view of adoption and and that is gone the day after being in this you know for uh, 17 and 18 years, whatever it is, um, even, and even though we haven't done it, we're basically with a young man that that I uh, learned to mentor, and now is spending his senior year with us, and and me and Marla were just talking the day. This is this is not easy, but yet it's it is the you're we'll probably be calling you <laughs> to get some advice. <laughs> you know what's neat to be around this table is. Um, it's it's different, right? It's not it's not the same, and and what I appreciate about all of you is you're not holding yourself up as like some some heroes, um, and I think sometimes you know we look at those who have stepped into hard things and and gone into foster and adoption and traveled the world trying to ca- take care of at least a some portion of 150 million orphans and. Oh man, I you know you you are you are such a hero. You are such a good person, and and all three of you quickly say no 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 no. You know you're, you're looking at the wrong person. Look a little bit higher. Um, check out my savior, and and when you give of yourself and you deplete that energy, um, the joy that comes in return is greater than what you had before. And and isn't that the economy of our God? And uh, how awesome is it um, to to be a small part of that? And I appreciate how each of you have um, done that in one way, shape, or another. Um, so uh, one question I want to ask as we start to wrap up here is, you know, somebody um, is really intrigued because we, we were able to just give like a very little bit of each of your stories and each of the arenas in which you live out that story. Somebody's interested in connecting with you or um, connecting with your organizations, how could they do that? And Gary, I'll start with you. Yeah, just feel free to look up Lifesong on the web, but or also if you want to write to me, it's just simply Gary at Lifesong.org. Thank you. Kondo? Um, same, not Lifesong.org. <laughs> yeah. Go to um, Lifesong. And- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I could not more strongly encourage you to do that, however. Um, yeah, I mean, missionpoint.net is um, is our website. If you're ever in the Warsaw area, I would invite you to come on and, um, man, join the adventure with us. Um, 
be part of this adventure. And yet I would also say uh, if somebody is engaging this and they're part of a church community somewhere else, I cannot encourage enough, like Kirsten said, to be an advocate, to go and talk to your leadership about maybe how you can be part of a a spark to start a conversation. And hey, I'm just... APB call out to anyone who's interested in, you know, foster care, anyone who's interested in adoption. Can we just get together and start to pray? Um, so, of course, we'd love you to be uh, a part of uh, Mission Point Community Church, but we realize the church is bigger than our, our little corner of it. And wherever, you know, you happen to connect with church, I would say connect with the heart of God and figure out others who are. I can assure you of this, and this is the last thing I'll say. I can assure you of this. Whatever church exists on the planet, there is a remnant in that church who is wrestling through um, orphan care or is wrestling through foster care or adoption or serving the vulnerable child. And part of that is because there is a remnant in that church who's reading the Bible. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you, can't, you can't avoid it. And so to me, I like, no sometimes it just takes one person to say, hey, if you're thinking about this, can we get together? We don't know what's going to happen, but can we at least start getting together and let's uh, explore, you know, lifesong.org. You would not be able to, because we could do this, we could do this, there's this option, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this, and could not encourage it enough. But if you're in Warsaw, come to Mission Point. That's awesome. Kirsten, way to connect with you if somebody has question or interest in fostering. They should just get a hold of you, and you can send them to me. There you go. But um, I can always take an email through kirsten.chriswell.grace.edu. I love talking about this, and um, I do think it is contagious, and there is a part for everyone to play. There is a part for everyone to play, mm-hmm. even if it's educating your five-year-old on That's what right. to do when you have a kid that acts um, or looks different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say, though, connecting, I think the church should be leading the way and understanding their community. And two ways to do that would be to sit down with someone from their local DCS and say, what is the reality? Like, just tell me what is going on, what is the need for foster parents, but what are the needs to support foster parents because they need a lot of support. And DCS, some of us may yes, not even Department know Department of Child yep. Services, yep. also known as CPS, mm-hmm. Child Protective Services mm-hmm. in some communities. Yep. Every county has one. Yep. I would also say to meet with someone from a local school. I know that in Warsaw, I can go, I've had... Um, the opportunity to meet with a couple of principals, and they will tell you they know the students that are on the brink of a family member not being able to take care of them or that aren't getting enough support in, at home. A part of our, um, my, I guess my belief, and hopefully several others, would be like, to, how do we stop kids from going into foster care? So how do we come around families that are, are, are like in danger of that? And I feel very strongly that any principal or guidance color counselor could tell you names of those students or needs that those students have and we can find ways to to step in as a church for that too thank you i i feel like i could just sit here for hours and soak in wisdom from each of you and i so appreciate you um taking the time making the drive um to be a part of this conversation and you know uh as uh condo prayed even before we got started here i mean if if one kid's life was impacted just a little bit um, by the love of God through a conversation like this, it's all worth it. Um, So thank you so much for, for being a part of this conversation. 
And thank you to all of those who listen to the Grace Story podcast today. Um, we appreciate you taking the time. And if you'd be so willing to go wherever you found it and check it out and rate it and then share it with others, we'd be so appreciative. Thank you to Dr. Wally Brath, Associate Professor of Worship Arts, for providing the music. And for Rick Neer and Andrew Palladino, our executive producers, for putting this together for us today. And wherever you are and however you're doing, we pray that you would live your best grace story today.